I, I wrote a story earlier in the season. I think Colorado was still unbeaten at this point. So kind of captured that momentum. <laughs> but just about like what Deion Sanders' potential as an NFL head coach and candidate would be. And basically, I'm pretty sure everybody I spoke to, uh, if not the vast majority, said you have to at least bring him in for an interview. And maybe what? he says, hey, you know what? Uh, um, thanks, but no thanks. I, I genuinely want to stay at Colorado, see this thing through. Okay, give him the opportunity to turn you down. Maybe you bring him in and you realize you're a perfect college head coach. You're not for my NFL organization. But I, I truly believe you're doing a disservice to your organization if you don't at least call Deion Sanders and try wow. to bring him in for an interview. Oh, um, I love this so much. The content would be just out of this world. Patsy Deference is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. We have Jeff Howe back from the Athletic National NFL Insider from the Athletic. He is tackling, I think we have 14 mailbag questions, which I know I, I told you was going to be the theme today. Did you expect 14? I, I actually predicted 14 on the number. <laughs> okay, good, good. I'm ready. I need to take you to the casino. Because um, <laughs> the promise was, look, folks, we want to get to every single question, know what's on your mind. And there, there are going to be a lot of overlap here talking about Belichick and the future of the team and the next head coach and the GM. And so I figured that, you know, when I invited you to come on, I said, here's what we're going to do. But if you're hot on something, like, you know, let's do that first. And I'm expecting you to have something along those lines, Bill or the GM or whatever's going on. Two and eight. There's a lot of problems to address, but the problem you chose was uh, I pulled my back and I'm getting old. <laughs> so do you want to talk about that? Are you okay? Do we have any update here? It's finally starting to get better. Um, Good man. It's turning 40 sucks, man. Like every, I'm not, I'm not new to like the pulled back muscle situation here i've probably done it like four or five other times in the past uh but i i feel like i earned those previous ones like mm -hmm. i could trace it to one particular event um like picking up a dumbbell and not having like the right form in my head or like trying to move a box that was way too big or like trying to push a couch across a room and it's like just doing dumb stuff uh this was just uh, all i can say is i turned 40 and my back just decided it wasn't going to work for five days so it's, it's awesome. It's great. Masterful job by you slipping in the gym reference there. But it really wouldn't be a podcast if we didn't have some sort of mention of uh, weightlifting here. Um, so, yeah, let's get to the mailbag questions. One twist that I did not tell you about in this list of 14 questions, Jeff. There is a fake question, one that Ooh. I wrote myself. And here's the deal. If you can pick out the fake question in this mailbag, you don't have to answer it. Uh, but if you do and you pick the wrong question, we have to go five minutes for that lucky person. So not only is everyone who asked a question getting their answers, but one of you might get an extended answer if Jeff hears the question and incorrectly uh, diagnoses that it is the fake one. Because obviously, to you, this real person asking the question, you're probably offended. So we're going to make it up to you. Um, and, and I will say I did not make this obvious. So this is not like, you know, can you tell me the top five things you love about Andrew the, the most? And why is him being good looking the first? Uh, it's, a, it's a Patriots question. So we'll see what you uh, what you can do. All right. All right. Leading off, Fiora, like most fans, down in the dumps. She's asking, quote, how many years will it take to rebuild the Patriots? They are so weak at so many positions. Massive turnover coming on both the player and coaching side. I can't see this being a one or even two year project so first of all do you agree and how long do you think it takes i do agree and it's it's crazy how, how quickly things can change because when we were talking 
probably the last time we, we were on here together, it was there was some optimism that this was a team that could flirt with uh, between eight and ten win category. Maybe their defense was on an upward trajectory. I certainly remember complimenting the way the defense was built and uh, that among a lot. They're, they've got the injury excuse more than the offensive side, I think. But uh, the bigger picture here is I think this is a, a long-term rebuild. And when you bring in a new regime, if that's what happens – Coaches and GMs, really, they want three years. They want three years in order to be able to bring in the right kind of people to make some mistakes maybe in that first offseason or what have you. I mean, two years is really fast, but best case scenario, they wind up with a one or two, the first or second pick. They get Caleb Williams or Drake May. And if they they have the offensive staff to support their development, and if that happens, you know, again, whether it's Belichick overseeing that offensive staff and that thing goes according to plan, how they hope, or they bring in a new offensive staff and they help that quarterback in their upward trajectory, you know, then even if it's all you need to do is see some optimism at the end of year one with that rookie quarterback. And then it's like, okay, like you're on your way. I mean, look at what happened with Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville in year two, you knew you had that piece in, in, in the right spot and now you just need to develop everything around him and you can deal with those lumps because you know you have the most important player in place look at houston with cj stroud this is going much faster than they ever could have anticipated and uh you know there's there's also the the situations like the giants where there's some maybe some false confidence in that first year because you know you need a reset and internally those organizations know okay yeah you know we're going to carry over some momentum from the previous year but there's still a bit of a rebuild or a takedown here in place so it depends on if they get their quarterback in place you know it certainly wouldn't be a bad thing to get marvin harrison at number three uh but really like you need the quarterback in place and if it's not you got to start to get creative in order to accelerate this rebuild. So part of me just wants to stop for a second and sink into the fact that it's mid-November, November 15th through record on Wednesday afternoon and just go, we're talking about the New England Patriots having a top three pick and that being a likelihood, not just an outside possibility because of how crazy it is and how fast things have changed in the last two months. Another part of me goes, look, they need to shake that off, this idea that this is a surprise as fast as possible. And I think they have. I think there's a resignation and acceptance in all parts of that building, that the season is lost, they just got to move on. But it is, but it is crazy. Uh, as far as my answer on this, I, I think I land. It kind of depends on who the next guy is, right? Because let's say, as as we've all kind of indicated or reported, like Gerard Mayo's the guy. The next most important hire is going to be the offensive coach and quarterbacks coach, and maybe you bring someone new in. But then you're not ripping everything down to the studs. Whether it's a philosophy in the front office, the coaching staff, you're kind of tweaking what's in place, modernizing, updating, putting a twist on it. I think that would allow for a quicker rebuild, understanding you might get a better chance of bringing back Mike Unwenu, Kyle Duggar, maybe Josh Uche, and you add on top of what's there. If you have a new coach and a new front office, not only are they going to take more time to rebuild what they've torn down, but they're going to have more leeway, I think. Because if things are sour after Gerard Mayo for year two, that's an easier plug to pull going okay, we're doing the same things that are just a little tweaked and different, but this isn't any kind of different result here. We expected more, even if he's a younger head coach. And so I think it kind of depends uh, on what they do next, which we, of course, won't know for another two months, which I guess I begs would... the question, and this is not the fake one. Are you of the belief that this is Bill's last year? We haven't talked about this on or off the podcast. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I do. I do think that's the direction they're heading in. They 
there's something is broken here. And yeah. I mean, kind of jumping off of a point you just made, like, do you plug and play Mayo and kind of keep some stability? What about this process over the last couple of years suggests that all of a sudden a quick fix is, you know, something that's going to elevate this locker room or, you know, the questions with the personnel and, and all that stuff. I mean, there are, you know, you look at some of the, the, the Belichick tree failures, most recently Josh McDaniels, and you've got to wonder, okay, are, are these guys too rigid with how they operate? I mean, I think Gerard Mayo has all the tools in the world. I've said it for five years. I, I said it go. I mean, I covered all but one year of his playing career. Like he's a ridiculously smart human being, a really good leader, a guy who has all the tools that you would want to be a head coach. I've said similar things about uh, past Belichick tree coaches, and that hasn't worked out. So you've you've got to take an honest look in the mirror and say, look, I you could believe in this guy, but maybe he's not the right guy for this building. And that's a tough one for that's that's, I think, the toughest thing for Robert Kraft to answer down the road when it comes to this point, whether it's this offseason or another one is if you keep things status quo and you allow everybody to operate under the or with the tools that they've been taught from Belichick, how quickly realistically is everything going to change? I mean, if you clean house, if you bring in a Ben Johnson, Frank Smith, whatever, you bring in a new general manager with a completely different vision. Yeah, maybe you do elongate that that rebuild, but at least you're doing it with a a, a different type of philosophy and you're going to give that a shot. Whereas like you, you said, okay, if Mayo doesn't work by the end of year two, and you go in a different direction, that's really prolonging this rebuild because then you allowed this system to stay in place. And then you saw, okay, this isn't going to work. And now you have to reset, you know, two years from now, as opposed to this off season. All right. Well, that leads us to the next question from Gary or maybe not Gary. Uh, let's assume that Mayo is, or has been the head coach in waiting what was the successor for GM or football ops? What was the plan there? Was it Bill or was the plan always to have that person take the job with the head coach in place, which isn't exactly normal? OK, so I think basically Gary's asking what was the plan in the front office? And look, they committed to Gerard Mayo, released a statement about not even we've signed him to a deal. It's that we intend to do so, which was unprecedented for the Patriots to give any sort of update, which told you, uh, which proved to be true. This was from the Crafts. So the Crafts are in on Mayo. And again, assuming that Mayo was still the guy after what will be a 3-14 and 14 or 4-13 and 13 or 5-12, and 12, whatever season, what do you think happens here with the front office? I think if you are going to stay stable with, you know, the Belichick tree, then you, you're probably going to keep Matt Groh or, wow. I mean, Elliot Wolf. I, I mean, really, oh, uh, you go to Dave Ziegler and see if you can bring some of those guys back. Uh, there are former Belichick executives who are still with a number of front offices around the league. Maybe you see if they're better suited than Grow. Maybe you think about promoting Wolf, who I know is very highly re regarded around the league. So I think if you're keeping Mayo in place, you want somebody he's familiar with uh, in the front office, as opposed to somebody completely different, because then – You've got the the potential for uncomfortability here. Let's say you bring in – I know we're going to get through some, some potential GM candidates. Let's say you bring in an outside guy, and after year one or year two, this outside guy who's the GM, who's technically the head coach's boss, 
says, this isn't working and I want to go in a different direction. I want to go in my own direction. Then all of a sudden you've got two people going up the back stairs to ownership, jockeying for power. So that's why stability is important. Yeah, and we've seen that play out in Miami with Brian Flores and Chris Greer. A number of times in Cleveland, it just seems to be a a series of dysfunction. It's the longest-running drama show in the NFL. Uh, Saw it in Foxborough with Pete Carroll. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Uh, And so I... I don't know what the front office plan is here. Like, I, I'm glad, you know, you're here to answer that part of it because I think what you would love to have is some sort of package deal. Like you bring up Ziegler went to Vegas with Josh McDaniels. They're aligned in philosophy, the type of players they want, the things they want to instill in their culture. Obviously, that did not pan out at all in Las Vegas, but it's someone that Gerard Mayo is familiar with and therefore probably either in the building or recently left. When it comes down to Matt Rowe, and Elliot Wolf, however, I personally would want to lean towards Elliot Wolf, understanding that he came up at least in a different system. And I think what that front office has suffered from, as well as the coaching staff in recent years, is just a lack of diversity of thought. Like, where are the new ideas coming from when everyone started in the organization, learned the rules as Belichick set them, and then just rose up the ranks? They're not coming from anywhere. And so, someone who's had outside experience, whether it's Wolf or Ziegler or other people who have left the organization and got fired, I think would would be a benefit because they can blend other ideas with what they have in the Patriots, because at that point, if Mayo is staying, as Gary assumed, you know, you're building on a foundation, but updating it, modernizing it again, not only just in the coaching and the culture side, but in the front office as well. Yeah. I mean, I'll just make a real quick point there just to add to um, something earlier, like Elliot Wolf is, is very highly regarded. Yeah. And, and I think he is the future of that front office. If you stay in house. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've written about it before, and, and I mean, you know more than, than I do, but in, in speaking with a few agents, it sounds like they deal with him a lot more than they have Macro. And they, they weaned Macro onto like some very basic early resignings, like, hey, take care of Brian Hoyer a couple of years ago, or this and that, like straightforward kind of deals, because, you know, he came up exclusively through the scouting side and didn't really have more pro personnel experience, where Elliot's really taken on that side and that role as someone I think is more comfortable as a negotiator. Is that fair? Probably. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, Wolf is he's more well-rounded, I think. Yeah, I like that. Okay, so we've all seen the Patriots struggle to score this season. That has been no secret. But I have something new for you. And that is the fact that you at home or walking the dog or at the gym or grocery shopping, you yourself can score this season with FanDuel America's number one sportsbook. Because right now, New customers get $150 in bonus bets. That's $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. Again, $150. If you pick a team and that team wins, and if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, you've heard me talk about them a lot, there is no better time than right now to get in on the action because the app is super easy to use. And if you don't like picking straight up winners, you could go with point spreads or player props over unders and tons and tons more. Just visit FanDuel.com slash Boston and open up the NFL season on your terms with FanDuel, the official partner of the NFL. Massachusetts must be 21 year older and present in the state in order to bet. Hope is here. First online real money wager only. $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit is required. Bonus is issued as a non-withdrawable bonus bet that expires seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling help line ma.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. GameSenseMA.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. All right, Lamar's question. Quote, if the Patriots were to make an external head coach hire this offseason, who would you like to see as an ideal scenario? Some names I've seen floating around. 
uh, are Ben Johnson, Luana Rumo, Jim Harbaugh, Eric Bieniemy. So you're talking about the Lions offensive coordinator, Bengals defensive coordinator. Uh, <laughs> what, do you, what do you call Jim Harbaugh? I think his official, his official title is head coach. It also just might be head case at Michigan. Eric Bieniemy, uh, of course, offensive coordinator with the Commanders. I'm not particularly high in any of those. Uh, I mean, maybe maybe the first two, but you go first again. Uh, Deion Sanders. <laughs> I think. The media's unanimous pick is bringing yeah. – I, I can't call him Coach Prime. You, you have no shame if you're a media member addressing him as Coach Prime. But uh, <laughs> I will I – will, I will, yeah, I'm, I'm in. Let's do it. I think uh, – I, I wrote a story earlier in the season. I think Colorado is still unbeaten at this point. So <laughs> – kind of captured that momentum, <laughs> but just about like what Deion Sanders potential as an NFL head coach and candidate would be. And basically I'm pretty sure everybody I spoke to, uh, if not the vast majority said, you have to at least bring him in for an interview. And maybe wow. he says, Hey, you know what? I, I'm thanks, but no thanks. I, I genuinely want to stay at Colorado, see this thing through. Okay. Give him the opportunity to turn you down. Maybe you bring him in and you realize you're a perfect college head coach. You're not for my NFL organization. But I, I truly believe you're doing a disservice to your organization if you don't at least call Deion Sanders and try wow. to bring him in for an interview. Oh, um, I love this so much. The content would be just out of this world. Never mind that they're four and six right now and their social media team. I, I'm, it has to be at his direction. Just put out a series of sentences with his, you know, kind of, uh, you know, stare out into the distance where it was like, I'm here. Basically, I'm staying here and drawing a lot of attention to himself because it's always about Dion. But, ma'am, the prime stories and content and clips and press conferences, I cannot think of a bigger 180 from Bill Belichick to Deion Sanders. So hear me out here. You, you want to really get, get wild. Yes, you bring always. in Deion. You wind up with the third pick because let's say you beat the Giants. Oh. <laughs> you draft Marvin Harrison. Deion gets Shador to declare. You get Shador at number 35. Now you got the Sanders ticket with Marvin Harrison, a future Hall of Fame wide receiver. And you want to talk about you got a, a di the dichotomy between going from Belichick and, and not saying anything to Deion Sanders to saying everything. And you've got somebody who, who could be one of the top five wide receivers in the NFL the moment he puts on NFL cleats. Somebody that the Patriots have, haven't had since basically Randy Moss in his prime. I mean, that's... You know, I, 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 again, I genuinely believe you need, whether you're the Patriots or whoever you have, whoever has an opening, you have to call Dion. Give him a chance to turn you down. That's fine. But you have to hear what he has to say because you have to find out if that translates. You want more realistic head coaching candidates? Well, not uh, anymore. More. No, I want to keep talking about this, but I think <laughs> I'm just going to bore you. I think, uh, I yeah, think the people I mean, should. Yeah, go ahead. I think Ben Johnson is going to be the number one guy. Uh, Anna Rumo is going to certainly get a lot more interviews again. Frank Smith, the OC with the Dolphins, I mean, just an unbelievable ability to connect with his players on a human level. I think that's becoming increasingly important in this generation in the NFL. I also think he's going to be, depending on how the next couple months play out with the Raiders, I think because he's got a Raiders past, he could be in hot, uh, hot commodity in Vegas. Um Kellen Moore, another offensive mind, he's going to be a, a, a candidate with a lot of interviews. I, I think it's it's an interesting situation where if you are a if you're the offensive minded head coach, you, you get to put your system in, keep it in place for as long as you're the guy. If you bring in Anarumo 
or any of these defensive guys, you have to hire a really good offensive coordinator knowing full well, especially if you draft a rookie quarterback, if your offense has any sort of success, that guy's gone in probably two or three years. So it's uh, it's an interesting sort of um, situation that these teams find themselves in, but that's why I think Johnson, Smith, and Moore are going to be three highly sought-after coaches this cycle. So Tom Pelissero's annual list of half the coaches in the NFL, uh, not to disparage a lot of research and conversations he has, but it, but it's a very long list of potential next head coaches, potential coordinators, and then you know young assistants that are coming up. The Patriots had Daron Mayo obviously listed as a candidate to become a head coach. And then among the younger assistants is you know rising up the ranks to Marcus Covington, who had an interview to be the D.C. in Arizona. Knowing how different the philosophy is between what Jonathan Gannon's running and what Covington knows, I'm curious how legitimate that interview was. Uh, but he is a very capable head coach. And then Ross Douglas, who's their receivers coach, along with Troy Brown. Look, I don't bring up any of those names other than just to share with the folks listening. They're on there. The one name that kind of caught my eye and I like from a standpoint of, you know, he's someone who's doing very well with an organization that I think you could pull uh, a tag team of from a head coach and GM. Understanding that front office is well-respected, values a lot of the things that the Patriots do, is Mike McDonald. The Ravens defensive coordinator, who's young, who is running one of the best, if not the best defenses in the league right now. And, you know, the Ravens and Patriots have been just chasing the same players for 25 years. So he's young. He's 36. He also worked at Michigan before that, has always been under the Harbaugh's. And the thing that I always harp on with the head coaching conversation is he might be so sharp on defense. And Ben Johnson has all the best X's and, you know, the first rate O's out there. But the head coaching job is administrative. Like you are a principal of this football team. You are not a professor. And that's where the line gets blurred of you need someone who's a very good manager and at least learning under John Harbaugh, I think gives him an edge and being in that environment where that's been a good culture, even in their bad seasons down in Baltimore. Yeah, I agree. Uh, he's, I mean, there's about 10 to 15 guys. I wouldn't go about 250 deep, but I think there's like 10 or 15 guys who are on the short list of head coaching candidates. Uh, this hiring cycle, McDonald's certainly on them. All right. Let's move on. Ashley. She always uses my name at the start of these questions. Very nice from Ashley. Uh, hi, Andrew. If the Patriots would have gotten, quote, just average quarterback play this year, how many more wins would they have had? I will tell you. So what? They're two and eight right now. I would say four and six. I think you beat uh, two of the Eagles, Dolphins, or Raiders. I think you still win that Buffalo game. And because look at some of the other games that they lost. I mean, just devastating turnovers. And with the Eagles, it was one foot down to late. And part of that game, Mike Kosicki getting a half yard or two on fourth down against the Dolphins. Devontae Parker dropping that bomb. But they're falling behind in all of these games because Mac Jones, as we've said, had pick sixes or turnovers uh, deep inside opponent, opposing opponent's territory in Las Vegas. And you're just not going to happen if someone can just drive the bus and go the speed limit and not crash into the nearest building. So... I think that's fair, but four and six in the NFL, as we all know, could also be three and five or uh, or three and seven, excuse me, or five and five, because that's just how thin the line is between victory and defeat. Is that uh, is that unreasonable? Uh, No, I think I'm I brought up the schedule as you were talking there. I think two win. First of all, I want to preface this by saying you want average quarterback play. You know, the whole system has failed Mac Jones, and I'm not absolving him of his guilt in this in this equation here. He certainly has not played anywhere near the level that we've seen him capable of playing. 
uh, throughout his career and whatever. We're not going to run through what could be six weeks worth of shows on this topic. Um, But I think it's, it's when you say average quarterback play, he's not the only guilty party in this. I mean, the offensive line hasn't been great, all that other stuff. Honestly, I thought he delivered average quarterback play against the Eagles. It's not his fault. Mm -hmm. Kayshawn Booty in two of the maybe four most important plays of the game couldn't find the sideline. Uh, The Dolphins, I thought he gave you average quarterback play there too. I think he had a bad interception, uh, but I mean, again, that that was a good Dolphins team where you needed to play better than average in order to win that game, in my opinion. I don't think any of the turnovers that he had early against the Cowboys or Saints doesn't change that outcome. I mean, you're asking for better quarterback play. You're also asking for six or seven other things to go in your favor for those outcomes to be wiped away. I do think average quarterback play against the Commanders and the Colts turns those two games around. Certainly the Colts, most likely the Commanders. So, yeah, I'm with you. I think it's four and six as well, but probably two different games than the ones you picked. Yeah, you know what? You, um, you're you absolutely right. I'm taking that L. I, I started from the beginning, didn't even get to the end. <laughs> Understanding the best pace was right behind me in Germany and then at home against the Commanders. You're right because he made fewer total mistakes, but those were worse. And against the Eagles, he had three touchdowns and one interception. So you're absolutely right. I retract what I said and stammered over. And we're moving on. Liam is asking. Where is he? Uh, do you think the Pats can actually get draft compensation for Bill Belichick in a trade this offseason? Is this the fake one? No, it is not. We have to spend oh. five minutes on this. All right. Uh, I do. Uh, because, And I meant to look this up earlier. I believe every – I did a story about this maybe a year or two ago. So I'm going off of memory. I'm, I think I'm correct that every – head coaching trade in the course of the last 50 years, and there's only been like six of them, has brought the first-round pick in return. And this is something that I've certainly asked around about, and I'm not saying there's a consensus here, but if you are an organization that wants Bill Belichick and you know the Patriots have decided, hey, you know what, we're going to go our separate ways, then you absolutely make that call and you try to get something done. I mean, if you are... Now, what's the there's pick, a lot. I think it's always been a first-round pick. I, I mm. think it has to be a first-round pick. I mean, okay. if you want Belichick that badly, I, I think you have to be willing to give up a first-round pick in order to make this happen. Um, who knows? Maybe maybe negotiations go sideways, second-round pick. But you need everybody to be on board. You know, there's a lot of – it's easy to connect the commanders to Belichick because it's a new ownership group. They're going to want to make a splash higher. They need to be more marketable in their uh, – among their fan base, bringing in somebody like Belichick is going to put people in the seats. But let's say Belichick sits there and says, I don't want to go to the commanders. So like Robert Kraft could say, I'm going to send him to you for a first round pick. If Belichick doesn't sign off on that, like you don't have a trade. <laughs> are, we, so, are we saying he learned from Rob Gronkowski how to stop a trade by threatening to retire <laughs> as Gronk right. did when Bill wanted to ship him to Detroit in 2018? Is that what happened? The, you know, the master is learning from the apprentice here. He could. I mean, there's look, I, I've said this for for 13 years. If you're not learning from Rob Gronkowski, <laughs> what are you doing? So, I mean, he's he is richer than I will ever be in my wildest dreams. And he is uh, retired at what, 31? I remember you and I were on the same flight when that happened. We, when he retired, going to the owner's meetings. Arizona, uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, first round pick. So this is 
there's a lot that goes into this conversation, right? And this conversation goes between owner to owner, which I think, you know, in in times of um, negotiation and leverage, like typically favors those who are doing the selling. Like you could go to the NBA where, you know, the, the trade that sent Kevin Durant to the Suns was just everything that Phoenix had. It was a new ownership group. They were desperate. They think they know better. You get to make the easy fix. The fans are on your side. And maybe it is the commanders. And Robert Kraft says, I'll just hang on to him. He's got one more year left in his deal. We've got our head coach in waiting. What are we going to wait for? But then if the commanders go, well, who are we bidding against? Like, why am I going to cough up a first-round pick to hamstring, hamstring Belichick to come in here, have to tear down, we don't have our best asset? We'll give you a two, and you'll take it and like it. Is, is, that, is that something you can say no to? No, no, absolutely not. I, oh. I agree completely. I mean, because if, if they're the only team and they're an NFC team that really isn't built to win now, and they're offering a two and that's it, then you take the two. I mean, if it's... Hypothetically, let's say it's the Cowboys. Let's say they have a first-round exit. Jerry Jones decides, all right, McCarthy's not the guy. And now all of a sudden you've got the Cowboys calling and you're Robert Kraft and you're like, am I really going to give Bill Belichick to Jerry Jones with a roster that's ready to win? The Look, I, we can poke fun at the Cowboys for their last 25 years all we want. That roster can win the next three Super Bowls. Like, they're that talented. So, like, do you really want to add Bill Belichick to that equation? So that might be a different situation. The problem there is, like, if the Cowboys are the only team offering, again, and you say, well, we're not going to take it. We're just going to fire him. And then he goes to the Cowboys anyway. You know, then, then what did you really just accomplish? Yeah. And then I, I think there are other teams which we don't uh, – actually, we do because Liam probably – we only gave him, like, four minutes. I showed him in timing. Um, the Giants I've come around on, like you and I discussed off air that, hey, they pulled the trigger on – uh, ben McAdoo, who went 11-5 in his first season, didn't finish the second year. More complicated there with Eli's legacy at stake and whatnot. Joe Judge, gone after two years, deserved or not. And so Brian Dable at 2-8, like they're headed for the second pick right now, and it doesn't look like they're going to rise anywhere above the top five so long as Tommy DeVito um, is, is still the starting quarterback, and he will be this Sunday against those commanders. So maybe there is a bigger market, which, frankly, if you're Kraft, that's exactly what you want because that will drive his price up. And all of these owners, not only is it just – you're bidding against more people, but the commanders against the Giants. I mean, that's perfect. You have two divisional foes who go, if we don't get him, we'll see him twice a year. Forget what the last four years have been in New England. He's still the greatest coach of all time, and we can get him here for at least three more years or face him in that other instance. Yeah, I mean, I wonder, and again, I'm just spitballing here. I'm not trying to yeah. like source any information. Uh, Belichick and Dayball have been very close for years. So if this is a situation where, like if Mara fought, if if the Giants or Mara, whoever's behind that decision, fires Dayball first and then goes after Belichick, okay, maybe he thinks, okay, this this makes sense. If they try to backdoor this situation and say we're going to bring you in, but it's going to come as Day, at Dayball's expense, I would be very surprised if Belichick went through with something like that. The other thing is, you know, Joe Shane is doing a good job as GM. Uh, again, it's this is a long rebuild. Um, so I'm sure he's got his detractors in New York who would disagree. But, like, I think Joe Shane is doing a good job. If you're Mara, do you bring in Belichick knowing that Belichick is going to have a boss who's going to oversee the personnel? And what's that relationship going to be like? If you're Belichick and you're used to running your own organization and you don't have to answer to anybody for the most part, uh, do you want to work with a GM? So, like, you got to kind of wonder how that sort of aspect plays out, too. Yeah, there's a lot that goes into it. All right, I think we gave Liam enough. 
Okay, so you guys have heard me talk a fair amount about betting on this podcast, giving you some advice, told you where to make those bets. So I got a quick question for you. What if there was an app that used AI and machine learning to suggest smart sports bets? Well, good news, and you might have guessed it. There is, and that app is called Odds Are. It's the mobile app you need to know what bets of the day are the smart ones. So just download the app right now. I'm serious, and sign up for an account. And just let the latest data analysis guide you through today's point spreads, money lines, and over-unders. If you see green, that's a smart bet. If you see yellow, you're on your own. And if you see red, just don't do it. Move on to the next. Because odds are doesn't take your bets. It makes you better at making them. With odds are on your mobile phone, you're always a tap away from making a smart play every day. It's smart betting made simple. So find the odds are app in the app store or on Google Play and get a two-week free trial. It's just 10 bucks a month after that because the casinos and sports books want you to bet, but odds are wants you to win. Go get it. Pat's Interference listeners actually get a special deal too. You get your first 30 days of the app free, totally free. If you go to odds are, that's O-D-D-S, the letter R.com slash Pat's to download the app. That's odds are.com slash P-A-T-S for 30 days of smarter betting free i'd call that a winning bet uh, let's do another question this is from john we we i think you've answered this already but uh, the question is quote if the patriots move on from belichick is it just time to move on from anyone associated with him and his coaching tree and bring in a new philosophy from outside the organization so basically i this isn't the question that john asked but we discussed a lot of you know what the rebuild would take who would take over in either instance and different candidates would you prefer you personally, Jeff Howe, or, or sitting in for Robert Kraft? Think it's better for them to go with Gerard Mayo and company and let him bring in some different people or completely start anew? I would start over uh, unless, okay. again, these last seven games uh, show some sort of signs of life. I mean, I think having Gerard Mayo and Josh McDaniels before that as the succession plan made all the sense in the world if you were just trying to sustain the momentum that Belichick left behind upon his retirement. But if you need to completely rebuild this thing, I think you probably just owe it to yourself to try to find a different philosophy. I, I haven't landed there just yet because I think largely the philosophy and, and people get so reductive in the whole, it was Brady the whole time. Like we cannot rewrite history or all the low scoring games they won in the playoffs or in 2003 and 2004, 2005, 2006 before Brady became Brady. Um, I think a lot of it works, but it needs some updating. Like in writing a story last month about, you know, Mac Jones's downfall and the things that he's done wrong and have gone wrong for him. You find a front office that someone told me is like, you know, dabbled in analytics and tries it, but it often just boils down to whatever Bill thinks. And sometimes they're working as hard as they can. And it's just his gut feeling and stuff like that. I think you can probably throw out and add in some more modern evaluation techniques or processes and systems that could um, give you a better chance at landing better players because they just don't have as much. So I don't know. I could see either way. I'm probably with you, though. If this is <laughs> it's crazy to think if it's six and 11, that's a big difference than three and 14. And yet you think by now, like, you know, you got a clean house, but I, I don't know. I want to see a little bit more. There's, um, you know, a couple things I'd add to that. I, I alluded to this in a story I wrote earlier this week about the Patriots. Um, the 2000 Patriots went three and three down the stretch there. And granted they finished six and 10, five and 11, whatever it was. Five and 11, yeah. 
Um, but they went three and three down the stretch. And I know people, you know, 23 years later will hear me say this and probably roll their eyes, but I would not say it if I didn't mean it. And if I didn't think people were being genuine with me, the players on that 2000 team who were holdovers and stayed in 2001 said, absolutely. That three and three finish helped them carry some momentum into the 2001 season. And there were, I think it was, um, Willie McGinnis, uh, there, there was a guy in that locker room who sold Rodney Harris, uh, not Rodney Harrison. Um, good Lord. There was a big free agent who came in in 2002 and I, it's, it's killing me that I can't think of who it was, but they were like, Hey, look, I know the record wasn't good last year, but we're on to something. And they helped recruit guys who came in and um, it's killing me that I can't think of who this player Pfeiffer? was. It was Roman Pfeiffer. Yes. Um, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Pfeiffer was a, a bigger free agent than I think people probably realized at that yeah. point. But they had guys who were like, hey, come play for this team. I'm telling you we're on to something. Now, I'm not saying that they're going to go three and three down the stretch here and all of a sudden they're going to win the Super Bowl next year. Like it's I'm not even trying to I'm not even in that neighborhood. I'm not in that zip code. But it is important with the way you finish. And if they do finish and they maybe they do change some things up after the bye, they change some of these coaching processes up or whatever maybe they get more I, I don't know like Kraft sees something different and maybe he says hey bill like give mayo some more authority i, I don't know how that would go over but you know sure. let's just say something does get tinkered down the stretch and there is a reason to believe that the m- momentum can be sustainable into next year then yeah maybe you do keep uh what you've got and you do change the processes i mean the 2021 draft was a much more collaborative approach than most of the last yes. let's call it five to eight drafts and it was the best draft class they've had in, in quite some time. I don't believe it's been as collaborative the past two years. And, and certainly the 22 draft is shaping up to be a disaster. So if you bring in Mayo and or you do you promote Mayo and you say, look, you're going to coach the football team, Wolf and Grow and whoever else they have running the personnel department is going to do their job. They're going to control the, the draft and they're going to put the roster together and you guys are going to work in harmony, and Mayo is on board with that, then I think, okay, that makes some sense. But I still think you want to modernize the offense. Uh, all right. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, th- I think we're in the same area. It's just a matter of, like, what's your actual address versus I live in this area of town. Like, you know, we're, we're, we're in agreement. Eric is asking, could Bill force his way to the Giants with a potential trade? And the hypothetical, I love this part, uh, comp, compensation, being a pick swap in the first round if – the Giants finish with a worse record than the Patriots, which is, of course, very important right now because the Patriots are expected to pick third. A lot of season ago, yada, yada. The Giants are second. And this is, at least for now, seen as a two-quarterback class at the very top elite can't miss prospects, Caleb Williams and Drake May. So you make that swap. You get a chance at one of those two guys, and the other team does not. But the other team in this instance gets Bill Belichick. I don't know how likely this is. I don't even know if this is possible. But this kind of like rights to swap picks NBA style trade. I freaking love considering the stakes and the characters and the teams involved. I actually, I, I really like that hype that proposal. Uh, yeah. that's, that's a cool one uh, for two reasons. I like it for both teams actually. And mm. this has a chance to bite the giants. I don't want to rehash all the stuff we just mentioned about yeah. Dayball and Shane and all that <laughs> stuff. This has a chance to bite the giants. If Drake may and or Caleb Williams turn into absolute superstars and whatever the Giants plan a quarterback, let's say they move on from Daniel Jones a year from now, it doesn't pan out, then, yeah, you sit there and you have some big-time regret. But on the Patriots' side, 
you know, Caleb Williams is like the, he's got the Patrick Mahomes playing style. Drake May has been described to me as a hybrid uh, Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, 6'4", 230, wow. massive arm. I mean, you want, this is the prototypical quarterback you build to play in the Northeast, especially when you get up toward New England, when it's going to get cold, you need a physical guy, you need a guy who can really put some spin on the ball and launch it. So I, I think Drake May, look, Caleb Williams uh, has, certainly has a higher ceiling. And I'm not saying he's got a lower floor or anything like that, but like two, three months ago, this was viewed as the Caleb Williams class. And then maybe Drake may enters the conversation. Drake may is more than in the conversation. This is a guy who is basically any other year, the last five years, except the Trevor Lawrence year, every other year going back to post Andrew Luck is in the conversation for a number one pick. He is quite possibly the best. He's shaping up to be the best consolation prize at potentially number two as any quarterback that we've seen in, in quite a while. So Drake may would be perfect for new England. So that'd be a great opportunity for the Patriots. If that's who they wind up with now, whoever let's say number one goes may and you get Caleb Williams, that works out just fine too. Uh, but then if you're the giants, you need help at receiver and you need help on the offensive line, whoever you want, take Marvin Harrison. He's going to help you take a left tackle. There's three of them that are going to help you quite a bit too. And if you're Belichick, you know, you've got um, Daniel Jones, whose contract is fully guaranteed next year now that he's missing the end of this season with an injury. Oof. We've got a veteran quarterback who's coming back who has some limitations, but is a guy who can possibly help you win some games right off the bat. I love it so much. Uh, a couple other quarterbacks worth mentioning. J.J. McCarthy for Michigan. Michael Penix out in Washington. Shadur Sanders, future head coach, quarterback combo of the New England Patriots. Um <laughs> The, the funny part about this, though, is let's say this happens, which I, I don't think it will. This is just kind of a, a thought exercise here. Um, and it is 2-3. It is the Patriots and Giants, and Belichick goes back. If Marvin Harrison Jr. is sitting there at 3, and I understand, you've already put him in Ken. You have fit him for a gold jacket. You sent it to his house. You've put Pro Bowl trophies and MVPs in his uh, award and trophy case. I don't think Bill takes Marvin Harrison Jr. at three. I think he takes an offensive tackle or trades down, which answers a question from Jordan. How likely is it that Bill trades down from any top five pick we get this offseason? Because his investment in receivers, or lack thereof, is so well documented from the draft and free agency. I just am enjoying the thought of the press conference after this, again, hypothetical scenario we're just kind of walking through, of the Giants have the third pick because they got Belichick and swapped with the Patriots. And then two quarterbacks go. And then Marvin Harrison Jr., can't miss receiver prospect of this generation, is sitting there at three. And Bill says, no thanks for a team that is just right there with the Patriots in the basement of the league when it comes to pass catchers. How does that go for those reporters who are like, okay, yeah, the tackle for Penn State's great, but we they already have two first-round tackles. I, uh, <clears throat> I'm wearing a Lowell High sweatshirt right now. Um, I think – I'm going down in history as the first person to ever wear a Lowell High sweatshirt on a podcast. Uh, and I say that because I have family members who are Patriots season ticket holders. And I feel I, I would feel for them if Belichick over, overlooked Marvin Harrison to take a tackle. And the hard thing there is, like, there are the Penn State kid. Uh, you've got uh, Alt from Notre Dame. Yeah. There's like one or two other guys who could be top 10 picks. It's a really good time to need to tackle if you're going into the draft. And, and there's like the whole thing of like, I mean, shoot, I, I, 
I cover the whole league. I still watch all, I've seen all 10 Patriots games. I know they need to tackle. I know they need one badly. And everybody always wants to tackle until it's time to draft one. And there's a shiny receiver there on the board. Uh, but, and, and you know, you look at, I hope I'm not screwing this up and blending draft classes, but you know, you got the Lions who got Sewell, you got the Bengals who got Chase. Both of those teams, I'm assuming, I think those were five, six in the same draft. If they're not, just play along and humor me. Both of those teams are happy with their selections right now, even though the Bengals still need a tackle. I, I think if you if you pass over a wide receiver who for really like the last two years has been earmarked for Canton, <laughs> that's that's a hard, hard sell. And Jeff, we you know every we everything we did with we the team. We put the best player on our board. We did we I did mean, the best for the football team. I've said it 50 times. It's, you know, the other, the other part too is like, I, I've written this. I've, I've studied this. I mean, the, the first part is like, you can get wide receivers anywhere, assuming you know how to scout them. Ah. The Patriots really haven't proven that. You can't, you cannot get quality left tackles after the top 40. And you really have to get lucky to get a good one in the 20 to 40 range. Like if you want a quality left tackle, you got to go top 10. So it's like, you can take a left tackle over Marvin Harrison Jr. and not be wrong, but man, <laughs> it's, it's going to be hard to sell T-shirts. I'm just looking forward to you introducing him on uh, the 2047 Pro Football Hall of Fame class. This is uh, this is going to be a great time in Cannes. Which we who knows? Maybe <laughs> we, we individually fly there in cars. Maybe that's uh, that's the time. Okay, that was fun. Um, yeah, I, I think there's a good chance Bill trades down or does something, but I also don't think he's going to be here. So Jordan, you don't have to worry about it. Eric, thank you for the content. Mac Jones, Tank Commander. This is the name of uh, our next uh, questionnaire. And he is asking, or she is asking, or uh, they are asking, who is hitting for agency next year? They have so many needs and a ton of cap space so that the Patriots can improve across the whole roster. Here are the big names. On offense, Trent Brown, Hunter Henry, Kendrick Bourne, Mike Onwenu. Defensively, Kyle Duggar, Josh Uche, and a couple other smaller pieces. But the defensive line is, is, is pretty much intact, and they locked up Bentley and Tavai in the last 12 months, so they're not going anywhere, and they're starting linebackers. I'm sorry, but that's about it. Uh, I guess I just answered his question. <laughs> I guess I don't have anything to ask you. But of those, uh, give me really quickly, and we'll go on to the next one, the most probable to resign and most important to resign. I think, on, like, looking at the state of the roster, some of the recent drafts, You've got to take care of the homegrown talent. I mean, the the fact of the matter is, they they're they're not re-signing their top picks. Like I recently, I think Dietrich Wise is the last position player that they've drafted in the first like three or four rounds. Who was signed the fourth round pick? Yeah, he was a fourth round pick. The last pick they've re-signed was Jake Bailey, who's now obviously not here anymore. And then before that, uh, Zach Cox had this the other day. Was it Bentley? Uh, no, but top two. Top two picks or top first or second round, maybe it was Jamie Collins. No, they traded him at the end of his rookie year, at the end of his rookie contract. All right, I'll find this. Keep going. Uh, but wait, um, no, no, give me some names though. Most important to resign, and, and what do you think that they was will? The last one. Yeah. Um, no, he didn't resign. Ted Karras. I don't know. Whatever. Anyway, um, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. I know. It's going to turn into a podcast where we just name baseball players from the 1970s. Yes. Um, Trent Brown has he's he's not a perfect player. You, you just you can't you can't lose 
any more talent on the offensive line. So I would keep him. Kyle Duggar is somebody that I would certainly really, really go all out to try to sign. I'm not sure I would make him a top three safety in terms of payment, but like short of that, I, I would make him a priority. I've always thought very highly of Josh Uche. I'm concerned about the injury pattern. Uh, that's not something that has just been an NFL thing. And I'm maybe this is part of that, but I'm also concerned about the, the diminished production without Matt Judon. Uh, so I'd be curious, like, what type of contract he commands. Onwenu, I think, has the ability to continue being a fantastic offensive lineman. <clears throat> so those those are the ones. I mean, I think, like, Hunter Henry, if it's, you know, five to seven million a year, sure. But he is no longer a guy who deserves or has um, or should be in the conversation to be like a top 10 paid tight end uh, because you can draft those guys. So I'm starting with the tackles. I don't know if Trent Brown wants to come back, though, frankly, it'll depend a lot on the new head coach. Uh, but Michael, when you can play right tackle in the NFL, you have not had a legitimate right tackle since Trent Brown was over there in 2021. The answer to the question that I botched and then researched and you couldn't find an answer for it was <laughs> the last draft pick the Patriots have made in the top three rounds who received a second contract. So first, second or third round pick was Deron Harmon, who was wow. drafted in 2013 uh, at a Rutgers. And since then, uh, Jake Bailey's resigned. He was a fifth round pick in 2019. That's bad is the lesson there. Okay, so we all know what's coming on Thanksgiving. You got football. You got family. Then there's going to be that giant turkey, lots of stuffing, pumpkin pie, apple pie, everything you name it. But what are you going to eat before then? What are you going to eat after? This holiday season, as we all start to run around, you might be looking for some convenient, nutritious meals. And I am telling you right now that especially on your jam-packed days of shopping and busy work, you can find them with Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat delivery meal service. Factor can help you fuel for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, all with chef-prepared, dietitian approved meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle. Whether you're too busy running around to plan lunch, Factor's got you covered. Effortless, wholesome meals like grain bowls or salad toppers, they're all ready to eat on the go. No microwave required. There are also calorie-conscious options that taste just great. Try delicious dietitian approved calorie smart meals with around or less than 550 calories. If you need an extra boost like I do, I love my Protein Plus meals with 13 grams of protein or more per serve. Whatever you're looking for this holiday season, you can find it with Factor. So head to factormeals.com slash Callahan50. It's my last name, 50, and use code Callahan50 to get 50% off. That's code Callahan50, C-A-L-L-A-H-A-N-5-0 at factormeals.com slash Callahan50 to get 50% off. Um, all right, moving on. Mac Jones, Tank Commander. This is from Jeff. Is there a world in which the Patriots pull a GM or head coach from the media like the 49ers did with John Lynch? And if so, who would it be? Rob Gronkowski. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good answer because you, know um, you know what this was? Was that the fake one? The fake question, yeah. Oh wow! Um, I, I'll give you a serious answer. I think the only, maybe I, I hope I'm not missing anybody. The only truly qualified, um, prominent media analyst for a job like that would be Lewis Riddick. Mm, good answer. He's he's really really smart. I think he's absolutely capable of running a front office. He's got the experience in the past, and 
is uh, I'm surprised he has not gotten this opportunity yet. He's he's genuinely good and I think deserves the opportunity. All right. Well, fake Jeff is happy with his answer. Uh, on to real Jeff. I, I stole this guy's intro to his question. Is there a world in which Belichick realizes just how bad the team is and in order to secure the best draft pick possible, just doesn't sign anyone else to play the secondary? So he's basically asking uh, the Patriots to play some of their practice squad corners like Breon Borders, who apparently would be the ultimate immaculate grid answer because he's been on nine <laughs> different teams but hasn't played for most of them, including the Patriots. Uh, I think this is, of course, a question sparked by Jack Jones no longer being with the team. J.C. Jackson was back at practice today before the bye after being left home for Germany. I, I, Bill is not tanking, which is really the essence of this question, and it's just been pointed at the secondary. So, no, they'll fill out the roster. They claimed to Michael Hasty recently. like he, He's still going to plot along and try to get as many wins so he can get closer to Shula and, and just salvage whatever he can from the season. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I think Bill mentioned it earlier this week. Like, he plays the guys who deserve to play, and that comes with some ire from the fan base. I certainly understand that. Uh, benching guys like J.C. Jackson and Jack Jones wasn't a popular move from what I saw on Twitter, but, you know, those guys haven't necessarily shown up, and it's, I think, since been proven with the release of Jack Jones, and th- they weren't playing all that well. And really? I understand there's some – some uh, criticism of the guys that they played over them. But Belichick has always looked, and I'm not defending it. I'm just defending the pattern of, of uh, decisions here. If somebody is giving you hundred percent practice, if they're not as talented as the, the quote unquote starter, like more often than not, they're going to find their way on the field. And I think that's just a backwards, a backdoor way of me answering. Like, first of all, there, there's nobody in the open market right now. Who's going to come in and make this team like much better. If they are, they're not signing with the Patriots. They're going to a team that has a chance to win in the playoffs. Uh, so I think it's going to be the young guys, whoever's in-house. Uh, if there's a tank mentality, which would be totally off the grid for Belichick, I mean, it's going to come with whatever the quarterback decision is going to be. And I wouldn't be surprised. Like, I shouldn't say I wouldn't be surprised. I could see a scenario, however much of a long shot this is, where Belichick says to Robert Kraft, you're getting a top two pick. You're going to get Caleb Williams or Drake May. Let me see this thing through for one more year. And I could see that being the, the one move that salvages his, his job. I shouldn't say the one move, but like one scenario, mm. uh, one potential scenario. That's all I got there. All right, moving on. This is from Adam. I think it was Adam. The first two words of the question are Adam Peters as a general manager. What do you think of him as a general manager? Adam Peters currently the assistant general manager of the 49ers. Uh, could he work with Mayo if Mayo was the head coach? He uh, has worked in New England before, but has outside experience and regarded as one of the best talent identifiers, usually say evaluators, in the league. San Francisco has had some great drafts. So I asked you about this off-air because I was not too familiar with Adam Peters' work. He started uh, front office work in Denver, where he actually overlapped briefly with Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler, when you know Ziegler was way low in the totem pole in the front office, Josh was the head coach. That's a long time ago. But if a guy is looking for his first uh, GM job, what do you think? Very highly regarded. And I think it's a virtual lock that he'll be a GM at some point in the very near future. I think he's going to be on the short list of candidates this offseason uh, on this hiring cycle. Um, I wrote down a bunch of names for oh. as, as candidates. That's for outside caliber guys. 
The first one I'm going to give you is a complete long shot. I don't think it's realistic, but I think uh, Will McClay with the Cowboys is the architect of that roster. And I don't think Will McClay wants to leave Dallas. And I know Jerry Jones doesn't want Will McClay to leave Dallas. So this is an extreme long shot. But Will McClay's eye for talent, his track record in assembling that Dallas um, roster is really, really highly regarded among his peers in that organization. And the reason I bring him up, even though he's a huge long shot, if you're Robert Kraft and you want to go get the best and you've got a blank check, you give it to Will McClay. And and again, sort of like with Dion, give him the opportunity to say no, but bring him in and, and see if that's somebody who's attainable. Jerry Jones might come at you with a, a check that has an extra zero and it might not work, but you know, that's the guy right there. A lot of Johnny Walker blue. Yeah. Go on. <laughs> Um, Jeff Ireland is a guy that I've heard for a couple of years is getting very close to coming back. And I think there's a connection with him. He was, he overlapped with the saints with Frank Smith when he was a position coach under Sean Payton. So I could see them being a package deal at wherever they wind up. I don't know if that's going to be the case, but I think that'd be a good one. Um, then it's, it's crazy. It's wild. like how quickly things can change in the NFL landscape. Five years ago, this topic would be, it would blow everybody's mind. The fact that we're even talking about this with the Patriots. Now you want to roll it over. And I'm going to sit here and say that you need to start learning from the Lions. Uh, You look at Mike Disner, who is the COO, uh, or I think the COO with the Lions, and is a guy who has more of a Howie Roseman style background, was a contract negotiator, a cap guy, not necessarily like a scouting type of uh, front office guy, but that was Roseman's background. Not going to sit here and say that because Roseman did it, you're going to get a, a, a rock solid GM with Disner, just like you're not going to get a sixth round quarterback and turn him into Tom Brady, but uh, a little more off the grid. You want to get more on the grid? Go to Ray Agnew, who's their assistant GM. Mm-hmm. Agnew is a former Patriots player. Uh, see what he has learned from Brad Holmes during their years together in Detroit with the Rams. So those are the Lions package that you'd be interviewing. Now you, you go to Philly. You look at Roseman's two assistant GMs, John Ferrari and Alec Hallaby, a Harvard grad. Uh, you look at, I mean, that's the best run front office right now in the league, and, and it might not even be all that close. You want to see if you can get one of Howie Roseman's guys. It's time for the league to start uh, poaching some of that talent in that front office. They lost their coaching staff last year under Sirianni. Roseman might start losing some of his top lieutenants. Uh, Nolan Teasley is the assistant GM in Seattle, uh, a guy who has – it is an up and comer. I don't know if this is going to be the year that he starts getting GM interviews, uh, but that's a very well orchestrated Seattle roster. Uh, Dan Morgan with Carolina, Adrian Wilson with the Cardinals, two guys who are very highly regarded among their peers. Uh, I feel like I keep saying that, that phrase, but you know, the other part of that is I've spoken to people in similar positions in the past guys who might be a year or two away from getting these GM interviews. They're working with teams that maybe the record isn't that good, but they're coming off of some good drafts. And it's like, Hey, why haven't you gotten a chance to, to interview for a GM job? Why aren't you one of these short list candidates? And they're pretty frank about it. It's like, okay, yeah, you know what? We have drafted well the last two years, but our record is eight and whatever gets you to the final <laughs> eight, whatever <laughs> right. in the last two years. Yeah. And that's a hard sell to a fan base. So, you know, you, you bring, like I've mentioned, like Dan Morgan and Adrian Wilson, two guys who were very highly thought of, but like it's, it might be a harder sell because the record in Carolina this year, 
Arizona this year are going to be kind of tough to sell for an owner to a fan base. Right. I love that. That was a ton of great information, places all around the league. A lot of names that I had, had not heard of, frankly, and I haven't done a ton of research. But I think for people who, you know, are already looking on to 2024, and Lord knows you've got a lot of time still to do that. Uh, <laughs> that's a good place to start and find out more about their background and those connections. Adrian Wilson, also Patriots legend. So there you go. Yeah, um, absolutely. Three more. Jason is asking, given the lack of offensive weapons, should they re-sign Trent Brown and Mike Mwenu and focus on skill positions in the draft? After the first two tackles, it seems to be a huge drop-off. So it sounds to me like there's a lot of assumption baked into this question, in which we already know, you know what the quality of the offensive tackle class is. Uh, we mentioned a couple of those guys, and maybe there's a drop-off. But like generational prospects down to you know certifiable day-one starters – it's not bad. They're still, I, I'm not saying I know exactly what the rest of the draft cast looks like, but I don't think you have to take an either or approach and you'd rather have some veterans in the room at both spots um, who are more known commodities and also just to bring up your younger prospects. But there's no question, you know, the Patriots need an upgrade uh, at, at receiver an offensive tackle. And you don't really have any young prospects in the pipeline in either position that you can count on. Because if you want to call Taekwon Thorne a bust, at least in this system and scenario, it's, it's about fine by me in middle of year two right now. So if he's off the board, Keishon Booty had one catch and played something like 30 snaps against the Colts. That's fine too. But I, I, I would just say, why not both? Yeah. I mean, even, you know, let's say you wind up with a fifth or sixth pick and you want Brock Bowers. I mean, that's mm. uh, somebody described him to me as a TJ Hawkinson type of player and is an extremely safe prospect. I mean, somebody who checks every single box that you want, and, you know, you can argue the positional value of a tight end in the top 10. And I certainly get that. Uh, but, I mean, the Patriots are getting, in this draft, regardless of how the next seven play out, they're in the best player available spot. I mean, you, you can't really be choosy. I mean, if it's if the tie goes to the runner, you go to the offensive side of the ball, I think. But they need to just, they need good players. Yeah, I think that's a good take. They need good players. Um, all right. Burnt ships. So ships that have burned and are, are still ships. Are Steve Wilkes and Brian Flores good interview candidates to replace Belichick? Both seem to have buy-in from their teams, but were fired for other reasons. And Kraft likes to hire coaches who have been head coaches before. So, uh, again, more assumption baked in this question than I'm comfortable with. But I think the two candidates were names that we did not raise earlier, so it's worth exploring. Brian Flores and Steve Wilkes. Wilkes now is the 49ers defensive coordinator. They, they've had some issues, though, as far as the scheme changes, uh, blitzing a little bit more and changing what was very successful under D'Amico Ryans and before that Robert Sala. So I, I guess my short answer is no one Wilkes, even if he got screwed, is the interim guy in Carolina, and I think for a year or two uh, in Arizona, if I'm remembering right. And then yeah. Brian Flores, n- rough tenure, I think, in Miami. But I would be more open to him than, than Wilkes, I think. I think if you're going to stick with the Belichick tree, you've got, already got your on Mayo in house. So okay. I don't, I don't think you would go to Flores in that scenario, just because I, I, I don't see how you divert from Mayo if that's what you're looking for. Wilkes, everywhere he goes, man, like the organization loves him, and somebody who, you know, people who have interviewed him say that he absolutely has what it takes to be a head coach. You you could certainly sit here and argue that he got screwed in Carolina and Arizona. Absolutely. I mean, you're looking if you're looking for head coaching retreads or guys who have had that one opportunity before. You know, you look at Dan Quinn. Um, 
have been a couple others, of course, they're slipping my mind, along with Roman Pfeiffer here. Um, <laughs> it's all right. It's late in the pod. We're almost done. Yeah. But no, I mean, those those are highly regarded guys. And Jim Caldwell is another one. Mm. I mean, if Jim Caldwell truly wants to be a head coach, he interviewed last year in Carolina. Um, that guy, had, he had a good run in Detroit, and it really gets overlooked. Um, so, you know, there there's certainly some talent out there if if you can't get that under 40, under 45, up-and-comer, first-time head coaching type of player that or type of coach that people are have been looking for in the post-McVay, post-Shanahan world. Uh, yeah, there, there are certainly some veteran guys out there who are attractive candidates. Cool. I like it. As we said, reference Tom Pelissero's full directory of the NFL coaching staff's crust league. I, I don't mean to keep making fun of it. It takes a lot of work to put together, and he is very well connected and uh, a, a great reporter. But uh, the list is long. Last question. This is a timeless question. Many people have been asking this question, many, many people, uh, since, I don't know, like the middle of the dynasty. Do you have any guess what this question is going to be? It's about their, uh, I'll use the word evaluation. And something about wide receivers? Yes. That is wow. exactly wow. it. I've been, uh, Fuad is asking, I've been trying to think why the Patriots evaluation process at the skill positions uh, in particular have been, quote, abysmal, end quote, for such a long time. Why can't they evaluate offensive weapons? Jeff, you've had a lot of time to think of this question, dating back to your days on the Patriots beat. The, the people want to know what the hell is the problem? It's, man, <laughs> if I knew... I mean, if anybody knew, I think they'd, they'd have a job down at one Patriot place. I mean, I, I do remember speaking to somebody a while back about this, and they didn't have any firsthand knowledge with the Patriots, but they were like, look, I was with an organization, and I forget what position. It might have been like cornerback or something like that. And he was like, look, for like seven, eight years, we tried drafting cornerbacks, and we just we had a it was a blind spot for us. We couldn't get the right player at that position. We just kept swinging, and we went, oh, for whatever. And I mean, there's, you could go case by case That's for nice, a huh? lot of, yeah, it's just, you know, Malcolm Mitchell helped him win a Super Bowl, but like, that's, you got one year out of him. Was that really like, you didn't spend a fourth round pick on that guy to, to come up on. Uh, it's, it's a hell of a game to come up in, but you know, the amount of guys that they passed over, I mean, missing, um, AJ Brown and DK Metcalf and, uh, Debo Samuel in the same draft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, just, it's not like the players haven't been on the, like, it goes back to 06 when they took Chad Jackson over Greg Jennings. Um, We're doing the case-by-case thing now. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, this, you're right. The, the, The person who asked the question is right. This has been going on for a very, very long time. Yeah, I, I think, uh, like you said, every organization has their blind spots. That just happens in New England. It's about wide receivers. I think there's some bad luck involved. I think it's also the difficulty of working with Tom Brady for all those years as a rookie receiver and guys who have been more experienced during the offense longer earn distrust, and that doesn't leave a whole lot of snaps. Now, the players that they did give a chance to work with Brady, especially in the end, like Nikhil Harry, they just – I think valued the wrong things. You know, him as this big X receiver who had his best games against Arizona State's worst competition, which you're like, hey, that makes sense. But no, it was he didn't have a great game against their best competition. And it only gets tougher in the league. And so whether it's him or Tyquan Thornton, who, as I said at the time, was like 
breaking up with someone and then seeking their complete opposite, tall, skinny, long speed, not big bodied, slow, and supposedly yards after the catch, which was what we were sold in to kill Harry. Like that's not a good reason just to find someone new. You need to find a stable, healthy, like, you know, good person. And instead it was just the complete opposite. So I think they, they waver, they try, they have some bad luck and they're just bad at it. But I think we'll find out. Cause I, I, I believe I've heard the next, Indiana Jones installment is Indiana Jones and the reason why the Patriots have not been able to draft GD wide receivers for the last 25 years. So Indiana is going to find out and we'll just have to find out together when Harrison Ford finds that at age 80, whatever that he is right now. Because uh, it is a mystery. and It's 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 up there with wherever the hell the Holy Grail is because no one, no one, no one can figure it out. Deion Branch was the last good one they drafted and tomorrow Douglas might be the best since then. But uh, you, know, you know what's going to happen here though is they're going to they're going to have the third pick next year. They're either going to trade down or bypass Marvin Harrison. Oh, stuff! And everybody, like, they're everybody's going to be pissed off. And then Belichick is going to draft a receiver in the second and third round, and those two are going to be the, the Hall of Famers. And he's just going to throw it all back and in everybody's face. Wow, that is plot twist. Um, that is not going to happen. And if he does, it'll be for another team, and then it will be a Patriots curse and not a Belichick curse, which will really sting all the all the more. But uh, man, how did we? Yeah, we started with Marvin Harrison Jr. and we're ending with him. How about that? Full circle. Perfect way to do it. Beautiful. All right, he's Jeff Howe, National NFL Insider for the Athletic, first man to wear a Lowell High sweatshirt on any kind of podcast. Apparently, certainly (laughs) this one. And if we have another guest who does that again, it will certainly be Jeff Howe, who has to come back at some point, right? I think this is my third, so excellent. might as well put it in the books for number four. Well, we'll be there for Ohio State Pro Day. I think we'll send you out, and you can report live as National NFL Insider Marvin Harrison Jr.'s uh, agent and PR team because you're off to a great start, buddy. Is it conceivable that Marvin Harrison and Pat Fryermuth go into Canton at the same year? Wow. Um, well, to be honest with the folks, I have not heard back from Pat Fryermuth since writing a story about him four years ago. Uh Pretty much since I wrote the story. So if they do go in at the same time, I'm not going to be presenting him because he has not responded to my text. And you know what? That's fine. Not not the first person to do that. Uh, thank you, sir. Yeah, of course. Thank you.